Welcome to the Weekly Standard Podcast. I'm your host, Michael Graham. This week's podcast is brought to you by Audible.com. Sign up today and get a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. That's at Audible.com. Let's check in with Stephen Hayes for the very latest on what's going on in Washington. Steve, so here's the question for you. Is it true that the sequester could be the quicksand that President Obama never saw coming? <laughs> I, I think the sequester is a big deal. And I think the White House recognizes that they made some pretty big mistakes uh, early on by overselling the catastrophic consequences of the sequester. Because if, if you think about the sequester as, as another in this sort of long-running series of debates about the size and scope of government, the president had done pretty well on those debates, including most especially the 2012 election, until recently. And then with the sequester, by overselling it, I think what he sets himself up to do is have average Americans see that, in fact, they can live with slightly smaller government and may, in fact, reverse the trajectory of, of that entire debate. So you think that there's an ideological aspect in the outcome? That is, if it turns out the sequester is much, much bigger than advertised and people start seeing how life goes on, that future arguments for the need for big government or the need to avoid spendings will be impacted by people's real-life encounter with the horrors of the sequester. Yes, I think that's exactly the risk for the White House. It, it, look, I mean, for four years, the president has basically, the central rationale of his presidency is bigger government. I mean, he's an unapologetic defender of bigger government. He's called for more spending, even in the face of, you know, trillion-dollar deficits, $17 trillion in debt. I mean, think back to the State of the Union speech that he gave after the shellacking that he got in the 2010 midterm elections. The guy went out and called for more government. He called for an activist government. Uh, if he's willing to do that in that context, he's willing to do it in any context. And I think the risk that they run is once people see that, you know, smaller government, in this case, you know, just on the, the discretionary side, doesn't affect their day-to-day lives in the way that the White House suggested it would, might get people to, to take another look and to think more seriously about whether we need all this government when we're racking up this kind of debt. Yeah, this is upside down, but I've heard some and seen some statements on TV of Democrats, in essence, kind of gleefully hoping that there will – don't worry, there's still bad news coming down the pike, Steve. Don't you worry. We're going to see people turned away from state parks and, and unmedicated children with no vaccination, Steve. You just hang in there. Christmas, or in this case, the anti-Christmas of sequester is still on its way. Yeah, I think that's right, and I think they're counting on it, and I think we've seen at least some evidence that the White House has tried to game for that. I mean, that they, they want that, they need that in a certain sense to validate the, the dire predictions that they made over the past six weeks. And I think it's still possible that we'll see more of this. I mean, it was never going to be the case that we were going to see immediate furloughs on March 1. Everything was, was more likely to happen uh, starting April 1 and, and moving forward. So we may see some of that. And, I have no doubt we'll read some more stories about it. At the same time, you're seeing stories like the one in the Wall Street Journal today in which a reporter went up to Baltimore and talked to the people who figure to be the hardest hit in these kinds of domestic uh, sequester cuts, someone who runs a, a head start in Baltimore. And basically, the person said, we're looking to consolidate efforts and, and resources in other ways. We're going to lose $250,000 but we're going to ask people to double up on their jobs. We're going to ask people to do more. We're not going to fill unfulfilled or unfilled positions. 
And the, the money quote of the story was they quoted this guy who runs this, this local head start, if I recall correctly, who said, the sky won't fall. If you've got people like that saying that in the face of, of these cuts, that's a really hard thing for the White House to respond to. I mean, these are the people that the White House is supposedly defending, saying, in effect, well, we can live without the money. You know, and it's interesting you uh, bring up the people inside government doing what pr- the private sector has been <clears throat> doing pretty much steadily since 2008, Steve. But I've also seen other coverage that was, uh, dare I say, almost critical of the level of social spending and, and going to, for example, Rhode Island. Uh, the uh, Washington Post had an extended piece on how the first of the month is, is they call it Uncle Sam Day. And people line up, and a third of the town is on the dole at some level, and and a couple of clearing of the throats. And <clears throat> maybe this isn't such a good thing to have a, a record number of people on food stamps, even as unemployment is allegedly dropping down below eight percent. Right, and, and I think it's almost inevitable that we'll see more of those kinds of pieces, even if you believe, as I do, and as I know you do, that the that the media are overwhelmingly uh, left leaning. At a certain point, the the stories kind of present themselves in a way that can't be ignored. And when you have the numbers, to, to, to use food stamps, as as, uh, as you just mentioned, as the example, you have the dramatic increase that we see. And there are stories about that. And there are stories about the effectiveness of the government programs. There are stories about the expansion of these programs, the necessity of these programs. And even if you are, if you come to the, to the, issue sympathetic to the argument that the pro-government side is going to make, you know, even for basic fairness requires you to, to look at all of those sort of secondary or tertiary questions, and and I think that will inevitably result in additional skepticism from the public. And also, like the sequester story, and this is why I thought it was interesting, your take that I heard earlier, Stephen, thanks for sharing with us again, is that the these real live encounters that people have, either with a government you know, sector that does okay with a whopping 2% or in the domestic spending side, 5% cut. These encounters with people who are getting government benefits who clearly could be making other decisions. They don't necessarily, you know, need all of these government dollars are going to have a lingering impact on normal, typical, non-ideological voters to slow down their willingness to jump on the $17 trillion debt bandwagon. Yeah, I, I think that's exactly right. And, and you, you know, you hear this, you get this anecdotally. I talked to a, a guy in Michigan, uh, probably almost a year ago who runs a, a temp staffing agency. And he basically said the day that it was announced that, un- that unemployment insurance was going to be extended, the long lines that we had people looking for work, you know, at my agency, right. Disappeared overnight, literally stopped mm-hmm. overnight. We had had, he had been unable to fill all the, the, the jobs that he had had before. And, and then they, uh, you know, find, find work for all these right. people. He'd been very successful at it. And then unemployment insurance is, is extended and basically people stopped looking. And of course, I mean, it's common sense. You know, this is, you don't, you don't have to have some, you know, multi-million dollar economic study to tell you this, and this is basic common sense. If people can be paid for not working, they have less of an incentive to work, period. Which brings to the last question today, which is, I, I, I'm not, I, I've been writing about politics now, not, I don't know how long, but there, you always hear the whine, oh, Washington is in a bubble and it's disconnected from America and there's real America and there's, you know, Washington versus Main Street. And I've always kind of rolled my eyes at that, Steve, and said, yeah, it's good, you know, on the hustings, but whatever. 
I don't know. I've, I don't think I've ever seen the gap this big between, as you just kind of pointed out, the common sense attitude that Americans have on everything from government spending to welfare to the Keystone XL pipeline to whether or not the jobless, the jobs market is improving versus the view that you get out of Washington. Is that view real? In other words, are we, is, are Washingtonians that you hang out with in your work, which I kind of view as missionary work on behalf of the rest of us, Steve, are they really, <laughs> are they really as lost or are we just getting spin? Or is the gap truly, is, is there this chasm between normal, typical America and the D.C. elites? Well, I, t- I try to spend as little time as possible with the D.C. elites. And that's it's rubbing we were, off. It's, way, the, goatee, the goatee was a sure sign you were sucking up, Steve. I'm sorry. <laughs> I, I saw it coming, man. All, all, you know, we live way outside <laughs> the beltway. I mean, you know, I, I, don't, I don't make it a habit to do that. But, yeah, look, I, I agree with you actually on both counts. I think it's, at, it's overdone um, to a certain extent, particularly I read some of the criticism of, uh, you know, conservatives inside the beltway who just want to go to cocktail parties and these are conservatives who don't ever go to cocktail parties it sort of doesn't ring true in that sense but uh, but you know more broadly washington is a company town and the company in this case is the government and there is a there's a certain sense that that people who live and work in washington and don't get out much really fail to appreciate the things that concern average americans people who just get up and work for a living who don't think about government all day, every day, and I mean this on both the conservative and the liberal side, you know, whose, whose life isn't taken up with thinking about ideological questions of the right or left, but who get up and they just want to provide for their family. They want to go, they work hard, they have basic values, they think they shouldn't spend more than they take in. I mean, there is a sense that Washington operates with a totally different set of standards than, than the standards that govern the lives of, of average Americans. Steve Hayes, thanks so much for joining us. We appreciate your time. Anytime, Mike. Thanks for listening to the Weekly Standard podcast. Please check weeklystandard.com regularly for podcast updates. And thanks to audible.com for their special offer, a 30-day free trial and a free audiobook of your choice. Be sure to check out the special offer from audible.com. I'm your host, Michael Graham.